The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. If you bet on sports, listen closely. You should not have one spot where you wager. If you're taking this seriously, you should have multiple spots. So if you don't have an account at MyBookie yet, go get one at MyBookie.ag and use my promo code KevinDC and they'll match your first deposit halfway up to 1000 bucks. So you're going to get free money to bet with, and then you'll have another spot to comparison shop with. You should be looking for the best point spreads, the best money lines, the best totals, and the best pricing. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, minus 110 on a loss, so if you bet $100, lose 110 if you lose the bet, is a really good VIG. Well, there are spots that offer minus 108, minus 107, sometimes minus 105. There are spots out there right now that are charging minus 115, minus 120. You don't want that. You should be shopping all of that. You know, it makes a big difference at the end of, say, a football season. You know, if you can find a a half-point line better at one spot and you can pay minus 107 instead of minus 110 at another, um, these are the things that ultimately add up over the course of a season. My bookie offers fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair pricing, Go find them, sign up, use my bonus code, KevinDC, um, even if you already have a place to bet. Uh, I've got a guest on the show today, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus will join us. Um, I'll explain why Eric is on the show when I bring him on. Uh, A reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, It does not cost you a thing. It helps us also rate us and review us where you can. Five stars preferably and a short one-sentence favorable review. All of those things really help us on the business side, especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you haven't had a chance to rate and review us, if you could do that, And if you could subscribe, that helps as well. So um, before we get to our guest, uh, I did want to mention that Chris Samuels, who Chris Samuels, Curtis Samuel, not Chris Samuels, the former left tackle, Curtis Samuel, the uh, big prized free agent signing, uh, offensive signing in the offseason, was finally pulled off the COVID list yesterday, but he made his way to the pup list with the groin injury. I would not be concerned at this point. We have plenty of time between now and the opener, and I don't really care if he plays a preseason game. Um, I do care that he is in full-fledged practice mode by the time we get to you know eight days, nine days out before the Charger game. But I did want to mention this as it relates to Curtis Samuel. The fact that he was on the COVID-19 list for that long, I think you can conclude that he had COVID. I think that's a pretty fair assumption and conclusion to come to. If he was in close contact, he would have been off that COVID-19 list earlier. He spent nine days on it. Now he's back on the pup list with the lingering groin injury. Yeah, all of those things are a bit 
a bit concerning. But again, we've got 33 days before the opener, so plenty of time for him to get healthed up uh, prior to the opener. Um, by the way, yesterday, Nikki Javala and the Washington Post has been doing a pretty good job on the vaccination rates for not just this team, but the NFL as a whole. Uh, Washington, through 9 a.m. yesterday, had 86% of their current roster, 90-man roster, that it had at least one shot. Um, 59.3% of the team was fully vaccinated. That number is much higher than it was a month ago. However, it still ranks 28th among 32 teams in the NFL. So they still have a long way to go. And what you don't know at this point is you don't know whether or not the vaccinated players are all players that are on the back half, you know, the 54 through 90 spots on the roster. If all of those players are vaccinated, well, your percentage is going to come down. And actually today, after a very light practice, the final one before they take on the Patriots in the preseason opener on Thursday night, Montez Sweat met with the media. And Montez Sweat, if you recall, from about a month, maybe a month and a half ago now, it's probably closer to a month ago, said about the vaccine after they had a world-leading immunologist in to speak to the team. He said, well, I haven't gotten COVID yet. I'll get the vaccine if I get COVID. He obviously sort of missed out on what a vaccine is. Well, today he was asked about it in his first media appearance since that last one. Um, And he did say that the team talks about the COVID vaccine all the time. And he said, quote, it's a personal decision with me and my family, closed quote. Uh, He wore a mask up to the podium, um, which might be an indication that he is still unvaccinated. By the way, Ron Rivera, in talking about the preseason opener against the Patriots, said that, you know, the starters are going to play. He mentioned that the other day, and he said, really, this is going to be about evaluating the talent, and he's really looking for consistency. He also said something that was pretty interesting yesterday in talking about the preseason, Um, and you know, he mentioned actually that he doesn't like the preseason. His quote was, I hate it. Um, which we all do, uh, you know, Ron, uh, we, we, we feel, um, with you and for you on this front, but he did say something that I thought was so interesting. He said that one of the things you, you are able to discern from a preseason game that you can't in practice at this point in the season is the guy that plays a different way when he's in full uniform and the game's on TV and they're playing against another opponent, even if it's a preseason game, versus the way he plays in practice. And he gave a couple of examples, but this was the best one. He said, if a guy, a defensive back in practice, is consistently jumping routes and making plays, he can do that in practice because there aren't any consequences. When you get to a game, you watch that same player that was super aggressive, super carefree, super confident in practice. Does he play the same way? Or does he fear the consequence of getting beat deep? So does he play differently? Um, And he said there's a lot to be learned from those situations when you're evaluating players. And I think anybody that's ever participated at any level in sports, you know, certainly as you got older, you know what he's talking about. You know if you played on a high school team, you know, a high school football team or a high school basketball team or a high school, you know, uh, baseball team, you, you, you know that you handled practice differently. You were more carefree. You were more willing to take risks more times than not. And then when the game started, it's like, okay, if I overplay this and I try to make a steal off the ball, I could get beat back door badly for a layup. And you just play differently. Or you, a lot of people do. I think it's those guys that have that swagger and practice that then bring it to the games where the coaches say, yeah, that guy, you know, he's a gamer. You know, I, I always think about John Beck whenever we have these conversations about practice and games. 
I don't think about Allen Iverson. I think about John Beck because there was this narrative in 2011 that John Beck was in a legitimate competition to be the starting quarterback with Rex Grossman. Mike told me a few years after the fact that Rex Grossman was the guy. They, he was their starter. But Kyle really liked Beck when Kyle was in Houston, and Beck practiced it exceptionally well. I mean, he really looked good in practice. But as I always referred to John Beck, he was a tremendous layup line guy. He looked great going through the layup lines, and then when the game started, he was not the same person. And Mike pretty much conceded that point. Ironically, John Beck has become sort of a quarterback guru. He coached up and trained a lot of quarterbacks um, that were drafted or that were entering the draft this year, and he's considered a bit of a of a, of a QB guru, um, you know, uh, in his post career uh, profession. Um, but you know, that sort of goes hand in hand with sometimes the best coaches weren't the best players. Anyway, uh, there is a preseason game on Thursday night. It's at New England. Washington's a two-point favorite over New England in this game. I do not recommend betting preseason football. We've had that conversation before. Uh, It's a football game. It's preseason. It's our first chance to see Ryan Fitzpatrick specifically. It's our first chance to see Jamin Davis. I think always preseason games and that first preseason game, first of all, it's we get to watch football. Secondly, it's who are the new players and we get to see what they look like in a Washington uniform and how they play. Well, you know, really it's Ryan Fitzpatrick because there's not going to be any Curtis Samuel in this game. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick and probably Jamin Davis and maybe to a lesser extent William Jackson. But I think those are the players you want to see the new players. And I've got one request, and I think I mentioned this to Tommy yesterday on the podcast. One request. Two, actually. The, the hope is nobody gets injured. The second request is I just want to see them throw the football all over the park. I want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick attempt 60 passes in three preseason games. I want 20 passes per game. I don't care about a running game. They're not game planning for the opponent. I want to see he and his new receivers get into a rhythm against another opponent, not their own team. I've mentioned this many times in the past. There are examples of some of the best quarterbacks in the game, and there are examples of some of the best quarterbacks in the game not throwing a lot in preseason. Um, But Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady have had games in the preseason, including the final preseason game, where they've thrown 20 to 25 passes in a half. Jay Gruden really didn't believe in doing much in these preseason games, and they typically didn't start very well. I don't know if the two are linked or not. Many of you do. But I would like to see new quarterback with new receivers throw the ball a lot against an opposing defense. That would be my one uh, request. Uh, The depth chart, the initial depth chart came out. Uh, I'll get to that. And then our guest, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, will join us right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get to a major league deep dive on the first official depth chart of the season, uh, I did want to thank those of you who have told me for a while now, if you're looking for a new show, watch Ted Lasso. I watched the first four episodes of season one last night, and I absolutely love it. 
uh, Cowboy Clay, Steve, uh, Rob, um, Patty. There's several of you um, that have reached out to me over the last, I don't know, several months when we've talked television shows, and you've said, you guys are going to love this show. I watched the first four episodes last night, and I can't wait to get to the rest of it. I've heard it gets better and better. Also, to those of you who may be scratching themselves like I have been for the last three or four days with little bug bites, uh, these are um, uh, oak mites that are out there. I don't, I don't know how many people are familiar with the oak mite bites, um, but just uh, Google it. There have been stories written in all sorts of, of newspapers. There's like headlines, D.C. residents terrorized by invisible flesh-eating mite. Um, yeah, this is, um, this is a real thing. And I've been scratching some bug bites on my arms and legs for the last three or four nights. At first I thought they might be bed bugs from this furnished rental that we've had to move into for uh, a time being until our new house um, is ready to be moved into. Um, but apparently what they are is they have come to feed on cicada eggs that were left by the cicadas last, not last month, but now two months ago, which by the way, was sort of an overrated event. I think, I mean, I, the noise wasn't bothersome. I didn't have to go with an umbrella outside to keep them off my face and body that never happened, but these mites are a real deal. So if you're scratching yourself and you can't figure out why, and you've got little red bug bites on your arms, especially that's what it is. These are oak mites. Um, They're apparently in oak trees feeding off the cicada eggs left. Remember, cicadas basically, or the brood X cicadas, right? Every 17 years, they come out, they fly around, they bang another cicada, they lay their eggs, and they die, and then, you know, 17 years later, the new ones hatch. Well, apparently these mites love these eggs, and when the wind blows a little bit and you're near an oak tree, they're landing on bodies, and they're biting you. You can't see them. Apparently, they are microscopic in size. Like, they are a fraction of, like, the size of a pinhead. Um, But uh, they're also apparently not dangerous at all. Uh, But anyway, um, that's all I got on that. Uh, The depth chart is out. Look, I, you know, I'm not going to make fun of the people that do the depth charts. I'm not talking about the teams. I'm talking about the people who, you know, update their 53-man roster projection. Doc used to give me a hard time. He used to say, when's your 53-man roster coming out? And I said, I I don't do that. I think I did it for maybe like two or three years. Um, But then I realized uh, it's just not for me. Anyway, um, I don't want to completely sort of you know, be condescending or diminish, you know, the results of it. Uh, Washington put it out. Look, somebody pays attention to this thing. I don't know if it's old Joe in the mailroom that puts it together, but somebody puts it together that has a general idea of what the depth chart actually is. You know, it's not like teams are sitting there going, oh, let's put together a, a depth chart that's really misleading so the Patriots on Thursday night plan for, you know, David Sharp at right tackle instead of Sam Cosme. They don't care about that at this point. They're supposed to put out honest effort depth charts before the first preseason game. And, you know, for me, I, a lot can change, obviously, between now and the opener, but they're instructive, especially in those areas where you think there's a lot of competition. And, you know, it also sort of matches up with what a lot of the beat guys have been seeing at practice. So the two areas that were, uh, you know, for me, interesting to at least look at, I wanted to look at wide receiver and I wanted to look at offensive line. I wanted to see, you know, what, what they had lined up as starter, because, I'm surprised that Eric Flowers isn't the starting left guard. I thought when they acquired Eric Flowers, they acquired him to be the starting left guard. Well, Wes, well, Wes Schweitzer was the starting left guard last year, and he's number one in the depth chart, and he has been the guy that's gotten the most reps with the first team. So Eric Flowers looks like a depth guy, and he's number two behind Schweitzer on the depth chart. They've got Leno at left tackle. They've got, obviously, Rui at center and Sheriff at right guard. And then I was interested to see who, you know, the number one right tackle was. It's Sam Cosme. 
at wide receiver, I wanted to see you know what they had. Well, they have what you would expect, even though one of these guys isn't available right now. But Terry McLaurin, of course, uh, Curtis Samuel, who hasn't practiced yet, and Adam Humphreys were the top three receivers. And then behind them, Deami Brown behind Terry at the X. Uh, and then you had Cam Sims behind Curtis Samuels and Steven Sims Jr. behind Adam Humphrey. So that would give you an idea, at, at least as far as you can believe this, that those are the six guys right now. Now, Sims Jr. is battling it out with DeAndre Carter to be the punt returner. And whoever wins that punt returner job, I think is going to be the sixth receiver. I guess they could keep seven, but more likely than not six, which means a guy like Antonio Gandy-Golden, guy that a lot of people loved last summer, is in more likely than not trouble. Isaiah Wright, Kelvin Harmon from NC State coming off his injury appears to be in trouble. He's the fourth receiver um, on one of the receiver spots. Um, So anyway, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, You know, Jamin Davis is penciled in as a starting middle linebacker. The more I've talked to various people, I think we're going to see a lot of different defensive alignments. You know, their base is 4-3, but they're in nickel a lot. They play a Buffalo nickel, which at times can be a linebacker. A lot of the times they have just two linebackers on the field, and none of them are playing that middle linebacker spot. I think you're going to see a lot of, in year two with a full off season, a lot of creativity defensively this year, especially given they've got a lot of players that they feel comfortable putting on the field with, by the way, as Ron Rivera you know, um, always talks about, sort of positional flexibility. That's important for him. You know, that's why a guy like Cornelius Lucas is valuable to them. You know, maybe a guy like Sadiq Charles as well, a guy that can play multiple positions. They want that positional flexibility. They want to be able to, you know, endure injuries um, in a in a way in which uh, it allows them um, to plug and play with guys that are used to playing various spots and are capable of playing those spots. By the way, on that depth chart. Um, Danny Johnson was the number one kick returner, and even though Steven Sims Jr. was ahead of DeAndre Carter at wide receiver, Carter was ahead of Sims Jr. as the punt returner. So there. Uh, Taylor Heineke, for those that were interested, did uh, come up yesterday in practice hobbling a little bit, but Rivera said he would be okay. Kyle Allen now has been sidelined for more than a week because of that you know, ankle re-injury Um, That's obviously going to cost him dearly here unless he can get it together and get into some of these games because I still believe that Rivera and Turner um, and company like Kyle Allen a lot. All right, uh, when we come back, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus will be our guest, and you'll hear why I asked him to come on the show uh, as I introduce him right after these words from a few of our sponsors. All right, we welcome onto the podcast Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. We've had a lot of the guys from PFF on the podcast and the radio show. Um, and I haven't told you why Eric is on the podcast today, but he did come on the radio show a couple of weeks ago, and we had a lengthy conversation about Washington and the NFC East and a lot of other NFL-related topics. But the reason I asked Eric on today is because he and his partner, podcast partner, got into a debate about Washington. Um, and Eric, I'll let you sort of present what you said and and the case that you made for it. Um, but you're not all that bullish on Washington in 2021, are you? Uh, it, it, for me, it's always about the price, right? So early in the offseason, I think everybody their initial inclination was that Dallas would be good again. And uh, and so people were offering Washington to win the division at like 4-1. to one. I took that. I actually think that's a good bet. Oh, you did? Um, you played Washington yeah. at plus 400 to win the division? Yes. Okay. Yes. They are currently – because I have Washington at about 29% to win the division. And um, because of all the things reasons they won it last year, they have really good talent on defense. I think they have a pretty good coach. They obviously improved at the QB position. The now the markets have Washington at plus two thirty to win the division, depending upon where you look. And 
that to me is too high. So that's kind of the 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 the, pre- the, the premise that I have is that like look the media. There are things about the Washington football team that the media falls in love with. They love defense. They love uh, running game with Antonio Gibson. They love Terry McLaurin. And, like, all those things make sense in a vacuum. But, you know, they have an eight-and-a-half win total. Last year their win total was five in the betting market. And when I look back and say, okay, is this really a seven-win team that I only need to win basically one more game because, you know, they get a 17th game too. So they just need to win one more game. And I look back and I think, well, what, what, what was the composition of the Washington football team season last year? Seven wins. Two of them were against Dallas as backup quarterback. Right. Two of them were against the Eagles. One where Carson Wentz is starting his meltdown. The second one was kind of wind-aided by Doug Peterson at the end, let's be honest. Then you have a win against – you, you, you have – um, you have two losses to Daniel Jones. You have a win against Nick Mullins in Arizona where you needed two defensive touchdowns uh, to win a one-score game, I believe. Um, you know, and, and you had a win against Cincinnati where you know, the Bengals had a lead and then Joe Burrow tears his ACL. And, you know, and I look and I'm thinking, not only did Washington not beat a quarterback better than Ben Roethlisberger last year, but they didn't actually play that many good ones, right? They played... Uh, you know, they basically played Russell Wilson, um, and, and you know, and and that was. So I look back and and, I, and I'm saying, okay, so this season is that same thing. Is that same thing true? And you look, and you're like, absolutely not. Week one, they get Justin Herbert. Week three, they get Josh Allen. Week four, they get Matt Ryan, who's I think going to have a great year with Arthur Smith as the coach. Then you have can you have Kansas City, Green Bay. Then a week later, two weeks later, you have Tampa Bay. So you have Tom Brady, you have Russell Wilson two weeks after that, and then you have a short rest. You got to fly to Vegas to play Derek Carr, who has had two good seasons in a row, and then you and then in the last five weeks you have Dak Prescott twice. And so, when I look at this, I think I'm thinking to myself, sure, they could have a good defense, but good defenses in the NFL, the best you can kind of ask for them to do is to keep great quarterbacks at bay, right? In the in the playoffs last year, they held. You know the, the story was Taylor Heineke, but really what happened is they they gave up 31 points to Tampa Bay, and you know if they give up 31 points to Tampa Bay, and they give up 31 points to let's say Green Bay and and and, and uh, Kansas City. My question then turns around to the quarterback position, and, and I will all agree that Ryan Fitzpatrick's a lot better than Alex Smith, a lot better than Kyle Allen, and certainly better than Dwayne Haskins. But is he enough to cover the differential in the schedule that they're going to have this year? Wow. So first of all, anybody that's listening to Eric speak knows that, um, you know, I've gone through many times over the last, you know, going back to January, really, when we knew who the the opponents would be, um, what the difference um, with this year would be. You, you nailed it. I mean, they have seven wins against, you know, essentially – um, Danucci, Dalton, Mullins, um, Wentz, and, you know, they caught Pittsburgh, let's be honest, at the beginning of their downfall. You know, they had played Baltimore on the Wednesday prior um, because of all the COVID rescheduling, and they barely beat Robert Griffin III, you know, in a Wednesday afternoon game. Um, so um, there is and, – and you nailed it on the playoff game too. It wasn't just 31 points. They gave up 507 yards and had the ball ran down their throat and Chris Godwin dropped five balls so it may have been 600 yards and 40 points um, had Godwin not dropped the number of passes he dropped Um, that game's been by our fan base totally um, outsized in terms of how close uh, Washington was Taylor Heineke did play a really good game in that playoff game the defense was atrocious and their best player um, Eric on defense Chase Young came up the smallest he was dominated um, in that game and wasn't doubled a lot either. And another sort of misconception that our fans have about Young's game against the Patriots, uh, against the Patriots, against the Buccaneers um, in the postseason. So, 
but I, 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 I want to go through a couple of things here that you said. Um, you're spot on about that, and I'm with you. I actually don't think um, that eight and a half – I don't think eight and a half is a terrible number, um, but I think if, uh, there's a contrarian in me when it comes to – when it comes to handicapping and betting just to begin with in every, you know, NFL pundit locally and nationally is all over Washington. Like they've picked them as this darling, like they're going to compete with Tampa Bay. We've heard that multiple times, you know, obviously, you know, the, the true odds don't reflect that, you know, the, the guys that, you know, know more than, than Ron Jaworski knows, you know, they have them at eight and a half and have nine teams with better over under total totals in the NFC. Now you said you played them at plus 400, um, but you wouldn't play them at plus 230. I'm curious as to which NFC East team now has better odds because of Washington's improved odds that you would play to hedge against your Washington bet. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like when you, when you come up with this, you know, you sort of, I have them under eight and a half. I have them, um, you know, I, but I have them at better numbers, and, and to me, the the, the team that has the, bet, the the most bettable price right now is the New York Giants, and I and and I'm glad that you're on. I'm glad you're on board with me as far as the narratives are concerned, because I have a question: if the Eagles don't lay down in the fourth quarter against Washington in Week 17 at Sunday Night Football, and the Giants get in the playoffs at six and ten. As the NFC East champion, what is the? How do we view these two teams differently right now? Because I, I've done this many times. It's a totally different perspective. You're a hundred percent right. Now, let me just say this: I am not a believer that um, if Jalen Hurts stays in the game, that's like a guarantee that Philly's going to win the game. Washington yeah. was really, even with Hurts in the game, the better team that night. <clears throat> now. Sudfeld didn't give him a better chance to win the game. Hertz gave him a better chance to win. But I still think Washington may have won that game and won the division. I think the bigger issue, you know, in terms of last year in the NFC East is it's a no-brainer that if Saquon Barkley played last year, the Giants would have won the division. If Dak Prescott had been healthy, Dallas would have won the division going away, even with that, you know, defense. You know, Washington lost to the Giants twice last year, and they beat the Cowboys with Dalton and Danucci or Denudo or whatever the dude's name from from James yeah. Madison was. So I do I agree with you. I think that there would be a, a much different narrative had they not, you know, made the playoffs at seven and nine. Let's just say they went seven and nine, but Dallas went nine and seven with Prescott. Um, and they went to the postseason. I think there'd be a completely different perspective. Now, the defense, people were on the defense even before last year began. Um, and by the way, I'll take it a step further as far as the playoff game. Even though the truth is the defense got absolutely torched, the strength of the team, there is this perception and this takeaway, Eric, that Washington played the eventual champions really tough. And it was a competitive game. It was. Yep. Um, you know, they didn't get blown out at home uh, to, to, to Brady um, and, and the Buccaneers. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think, it would, I think people would have a I, – I don't – right now, I think the Giants would be the second pick in the division, um, even by odds makers, because I like the Giant roster too. I think that they are very capable this year. Yeah, there's there's no, there's no dinging the good things about Washington. Like I I think the defensive line is amazing. I really like the William Jackson acquisition. Cameron Curl was awesome last year. I think when you look at the offense, I'm taking nothing away from Terry McLaurin, nothing away from Antonio Gibson, and and frankly nothing away from Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's had three I think really good seasons in a row as a backup quarterback. The question is is like that's like. They're they're in sort of this JV, and and the question is is can they be be a varsity team with with that? Like can they step up in sort of in sort of class? And you look at the Giants, like you know, Patrick Graham's a terrific defensive coordinator. Jabril Peppers had an awesome year. Uh, Xavier McKinney's in the second year. James Bradbury was an amazing free agent signing for them last year. As was Blake Martinez. You know they have Leonard Williams in the front. Like their defense, I'm not saying it's as good as Washington's, but it's certainly in the same equivalence class. And then on the offensive side of the ball, like every single year in the NFL, almost without fail, there's a team that has a good defense, a somewhat easy schedule, and a rookie contract quarterback who plays 
not great, but just well enough for everybody to question whether or not he's a, uh, like the Blake Bortles 2017 year, the Mitch Trubisky 2018 year. And I, while I don't know if that, I'm not going to say like the Giants have a better than 50% chance of doing that. I think the Giants have better than 25% chance of doing that. And at the current market prices, that's bettable. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, as you mentioned, those two guys, because they're great examples. I mean, that Bortles team was within a whisker of going to the Super Bowl in that game in Foxborough. I mean, they had a legitimate chance to win that game with that defense, which, ironically, the week before, they gave up like 42 points. And I think some of it was turnover-aided um, against the Steelers. But I actually view Daniel Jones's upside, and maybe this is easy to do in hindsight, but I think he's better than Trubisky and a lot better than Bortles. What do you think? Uh, I mean, certainly I think the narratives on him are skewed, right? So as a rookie, Daniel Jones had like a lot of touchdown passes. So this is like, I think one of the cool things about PFF is that we can sort of contextualize this because after, after year one, when he has, you know, uh, 3,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, everybody's like, you know, oh, Daniel Jones is great. You guys are haters, blah, blah, blah. Last season, 6.6 yards for pass attempt, by the way. Last season, he throws 11 touchdowns, 10 picks, a little under 3,000 yards, and everybody thinks he's, he's terrible. Same exact yards per attempt. So, like, there's, there's so much noise associated with this where I think if you were selling the Giants last year because of Daniel Jones, you're probably right. And if you buy the Giants this year because of Daniel Jones, you're probably right. And that's because you know, and I, I joke because this is because the offseason is too long, but, like, the narratives on these guys just oscillate so wildly that you can almost pick up, as you said, all the all the praise on Washington right now, almost none on the Giants, especially given the head coach and some of the shenanigans he's up to. Like, this might be just the right amount of time to buy into Jones and, and the Giants as a whole. Yeah, um, you know, I thought that at the end of the year after Colt McCoy was playing when he was hurt and he came back in, I thought he did a much better job. It looked like he was maturing in terms of protecting the ball, and they played some good defensive teams. Uh, you know, I'm, I, look, I'm not sold on Daniel Jones by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm also not off him completely by so like so many others are. I think he's got some gamer in him, and I think we saw that, you know, in a few games, whether it was that Tampa Bay game where they got robbed on the two-point conversion um, or, they, they, you know, they played, um, they played a game early in the year against the Bears, and he drove them all the way down there. He did throw a pick at the end. Just, I, I don't know, there's something about him that – that if I were a Giant fan, I'd be not even close to the bailing point on him yet. Not even close to that point um, yet. Um, I was just curious because, you know, the schedule thing is an interesting game to play. The NFL, you know, I mean, it's week to week as much as it is year to year. Yep. Um, and but playing the schedule game is so da- dangerous. And over the years, I've always said it's such a a worthless game to play because you don't know what these teams are going to be like when you get there and how many times do you line up that schedule as a fan of a team and you say, well, that's a win and that's a win and that's a loss and that's a definite loss and it ends up being the exact opposite. I'm curious at PFF, have you ever done any sort of analysis on sort of strength of schedule prior to year and what it ended up being and whether or not that is, you know, sort of a a coin flip thing on evaluating a schedule before a season begins? Well, there's if you use previous years wins and losses, you're certainly just adding noise. Of course. Um, the the preseason betting market does a really good job of predicting wins year to year. And so if you use something like that, we we've shown that that has that has some predictive power. It's still random and you know, when I talk about who's playing whom, I almost always go to the quarterback position because for, by and large, the quarterbacks don't get injured very much. The quarterbacks are the most important player on the team, and they influence the games. And so that's sort of how I've chosen to view it is more like, okay, what is the strength of the opposing quarterback? But you're right. If you just look and say, like, you know, if you have San Francisco on your schedule this year, last year they're 6-10, and 10, and that's going to look good on your strength of schedule, whereas yeah, the market has the 49ers the third-best team in the NFL right now. And um, that, that, that's certainly something you want to be better at. 
Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's more about sort of the projected, you know, teams in terms of what their performance in the upcoming year is in San Francisco is a, a perfect example um using that. Um yeah, it's uh God, I, I had something off of that that I was gonna ask you and I just um I just forgot. Uh, I'll, I'm sure I'll pull it back here uh, momentarily. But back to Washington. You did say they're the biggest fade in the NFL <laughs> on their eight and a half over under total. Um, who's close? I mean, it, it, you've already explained why you think they're a fade, but you said they're the biggest fade. That you, and for those that don't understand that, it's the, it's the biggest short. He's not buying long on Washington. He's shorting Washington. You said they're the biggest fade in the league. Um, who's close to him on 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 win totals? Yeah, I mean, there are other teams I'm not that high on. In fact, this season with all the COVID stuff, I am like under on a lot of teams. Um, I think New Orleans at nine wins, that's a really high mark for them. They do have a Hall of Fame coach, which I think helps. Miami and New England are at nine and a half. I'd probably think about under on those two teams as well. Pittsburgh, interestingly, also an eight and a half win total team. But the market is shading Pittsburgh under eight and a half versus over eight and a half when it comes to Washington. So those are some teams. But, you know, for Washington, again, it's more that, to your point where you said, the media is falling in love with this team. And... I think we're all going to come up for air and be like, how the heck did this happen? It's like, well, it's pretty actually easy to see how this could happen, and and here's why. And I just wanted to sort of get out in front of that because, again, like I don't want them to fail. I think the league is better when Washington's good. Um, But but there there are markers here where I'm kind of like, are we moving a little too fast here? And if you're a Washington football team fan, I think you'd rather win 11 games or three games than you would nine games, given the the quarterback Uh. position. Is where it is. You're 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 very sweet, by the way, to say. I think it's better off when Washington wins, like it's 30 years ago. I mean, look, I'm I'm a born and raised Washingtonian and a lifelong fan, and have lived, you know, and lived through the glory years when Washington was, you know, a relevant NFL franchise. But they're not anymore. Even though, to you know, if this is what you meant, it is better for the league if the team in Washington is good. It's also so better when the NFC East, you know, which is really probably the biggest brand division in the sport, it's better that, you know, it's got three double-digit win teams versus what it had last year because very often, you know, the Washington-Dallas or the Dallas-Philly games are the highest-rated games of the year, you know, on television. So I know that's always a good thing. By the way, I was just looking at one of the two or three sites that I have. I've got Washington over eight and a half minus one forty-five, which pretty much you know confirms which you know what we're, what we're saying is that you know there is definitely um, you know a ton of of people that have bought in um, to them. I, I remembered what I was going to say to you, and you, you talked about quarterbacks. You know when it comes to schedule. And I think it's a really important point because in the conversation about their upcoming schedule and just the litany of not good quarterbacks, um, but great quarterbacks, I mean, they have, you know, um, they've essentially got 11 games against debatably the top 11 or 12 quarterbacks in the NFL. And beyond that, Eric, it's these are dynamic offenses. You know, they get Keenan Allen in week one. They get, they get Diggs in week three. They get, you know, Thomas if he's healthy, the Kansas City. City group, Devontae Adams, you know, the Tampa group, you know, Metcalf, like the the list goes on and on. The Dallas receivers twice. You know, they're playing dynamic offenses, but I think your point about you can sort of look at the schedule based on the quarterbacks that they're going to face, because while quarterbacks do get injured and they derail seasons, it's less likely than other position groups. And um so when you look at Washington, they could be an improved team, right? They could be an improved team with maybe an additional win courtesy of the 17th game to get them at eight and still not end up in the postseason or still from a perception-wise look like they, they fell short. Uh, it's well said, right? They could even they could even win fewer games to be better fundamentally. You could come out of the season feeling better about the team and they could be 6-11, and 11, like, you know, in a weird way. I don't think people would be happy with that, but you could look at it and say, well, this is actually a better team. They just, you know, lost a bunch of close games to the Tom Brady's of the world, you know, whereas last season they won some close games against the, uh, you know, the, um, 
Nick Mullins in the world. Uh, you, you gave me the list of teams that are comparable to Washington in your own mind in terms of you know who you'd short, who you'd fade. Who do you like? Who are you going long on based on a, a, on a favorable total number? I, I like the Jets this year. I think people I, – I like Zach Wilson. I like the fact they're number six wins. You get a little bit of a plus price there going over that. Um, Salad, to me, is a really impressive guy as a coach. He also is uh, taking over for a guy who I think is about as bad as you can get at that spot. So, to me, I like that. I like the Jets because, partially, I mean, look at that division. Miami is a team last year that was first in turnovers forced, but like 25th or something in, in yards per play allowed on defense. Everybody talks about that defense like it's great. I think it's more of like a noisy defense than anything. Um, two is a big question mark there. New England, I think it's question marks at quarterback, but also Stephon Gilmore still hasn't practiced at all for them. Uh, and then Buffalo, uh, I think it's probably the class of that division, but there are uh, fragilities there associated with COVID. Uh, I think um, I think the Jets are a team that will sneak up on some people this year and will wonder why uh, come, come come December. Uh, why they're playing compelling football games, but I think the, the the pieces are in place for them. You you said earlier that you sort of like the Giants. Um, do you like that number at seven and a half? You you clearly do, right? You, that, is that an overplay for you? I, I would play over that. Um, I'm not as strong on that as taking more of a long shot though on the division. Like I I think there's a universe where they they actually they're they're more competitive for the division than they are competitive for that over. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in thinking about the NFC East last year and talking about quarterbacks and the importance. I mean, the NFC East was devastated quarterback-wise. Dallas played four quarterbacks last year. Washington played four quarterbacks. Philadelphia played three quarterbacks. The Giants played two quarterbacks. If you have relative normal health in the division, it should be improved. Do you agree? I think so, for sure. And, and I mean, it's hard not to be improved. Yeah, the only one that I think is a little bit leaky is the Jalen Hurts. I don't think I think Jalen Hurts was a breath of fresh air relative to Carson Wentz, and that made us overlook the fact that he still wasn't all that great last year. And uh, and it came up he was dreadful before he got benched for Hudfeld in that Week 17 game. Yeah, um, Eric Eager is our guest from Pro Football Focus. One more, and it'll it'll be back um, on Washington. You also in your um, conversation on your podcast. Um, you got after Ryan Fitzpatrick a little bit. Now, you know, netting it out, they've got a better quarterback situation this year than they did last year. But again, like the NFC East, that's not saying much. But what is yours and PFF's expectation of Ryan Fitzpatrick this year? I, I think I'm, you're going to see a little bit of regression. Like I said, I think he's played great, especially relative to career averages uh, the last two or three seasons. But it still doesn't overcome the fact that, like, in Tampa Bay, he was benched for ineffective play. In Miami, in 19, he was benched for ineffective play. Last year, he wasn't benched for ineffective play, but he was benched for other reasons. Like, we're not talking about a, a middle-of-the-pack starting quarterback in the NFL, I think. I think we're looking at a guy who can compete with the best quarterbacks on any given Sunday, but also has the flame ability that, um, you know, you kind of want if you're Washington because, again, you don't want to have a 500 season. You want to put yourself in position to draft a quarterback if you're not going to be in the playoffs. But I just wonder about consistency with him. He's always a guy that threw a lot, you know, turns the ball over a lot. Um, he's always a guy who takes chances. And and I think our bias with him is that he's so likable that we that we that we immediately think positive things about him. But there are aspects of his play at the QB position that long term I wouldn't buy into. I lied. I've got one more for you um, because every single time I have one of you guys on, uh, especially in the off season, give me you know something that you guys are studying or doing some sort of an analysis on. Um, if there's nothing right now you can think of, that's fine. But there's usually something that you guys are working on. You know how offenses or defenses you know match up against certain looks or whatever. What's what sort of a thing that you guys are talking a lot about right now? with the season, you know, still a month away? Well, I, the one thing that I like, and it's, it's, a, it's something where you're looking at, you know, sort of teams 
you know, it's like baseball, right, where there are certain types of baseball teams that can win 100 games, but they do it with a bunch of twos and three starters. And then you get to the playoffs and you can't win because you don't have a number one starter and the Yankees do. And, like, I think in football, there are teams like Green Bay that can win 12, 13 games just going Rodgers to Adams, Rodgers to Adams. But when it comes to winning in the playoffs, depth is so important. And so when I look at a team like Kansas City, why did they lose the Super Bowl? Well, part of the reason they lost the Super Bowl was because they couldn't protect their quarterback, and that's a depth issue. But the other reason was is Tampa Bay, seven draft picks in the secondary the last three years uh, in the first two days of the draft. And if you drop six in coverage and you can double-team two great receivers, you need that third guy to step up. And the Chiefs last season, the Chiefs in 19, when they beat the 49ers, Sammy Watkins had 100 yards a game in the playoffs. Last year was nowhere to be found. Last year, McCole Hardman was nowhere to be found. If you're looking for places for teams, if you're looking for, you know, hey, where, where is this team going to fail? Look at the second, third, or fourth receiver positions and ask yourself if one of these wide receivers for these teams goes down and they play an elite defense, who's going to get open? Yeah, and well, to your point too, in the case of of Tampa, you know, if you were to lose a, a key defender or two, who's coming in to cover? Yes, yes, and I think when you have as many, when you're as deep as Tampa was, by the way, at wide receiver, Antonio Brown didn't even play in the NFC Championship game. Right. Scotty Miller was the one who came up big. Um, but in the secondary, if you lose a guy or two, and again, that's I think where you look at Washington. Like William Jackson's great. I think Kendall Fuller's great. Cameron Curl, even uh, you know, even uh, Landon Collins, I think is a good player in his role. How fragile is that? Like when you look at corners three, four, and five, are you comfortable with those guys? Because the the, the injuries are the name of the game in football, and especially when you play great quarterbacks, you don't get to say, "Hey, you only get to throw at William Jackson today." You know, Tom Brady's going to find corner number three when he's trying to be corner number two. And, and, you know, he's going to exploit that. So depth, fragility is, is a humongous thing to look at for some of these teams. Yeah, it's funny. And yet, um, I know that in previous, you know, uh, PFF conversations I've had, you guys put this in tremendous emphasis on coverability versus pass rusher, whereas, you know, old school thought is, you know, it's it's get after the quarterback and you can make, you know, an average corner, you know, uh, a really good one. Um, and yet in that Super Bowl, it was all about making Mahomes uncomfortable. Yeah, I think, uh, right. But I, I think that the, the big underlying thing is if you watch the game back, Mahomes, when he hit his back foot, was, was not having guys open, right? And so coverage really does feed into pass rush in the sense of if you can make a quarterback hesitate a little bit, then having pass rushers like Pierre Paul, uh, Vita Vea, and, and Shaq Barrett really do come come into play, whereas I, I, as a Chiefs fan, I remember distinctly the, the 2018 AFC Championship game. Chiefs led the league in sacks at your highest-graded defensive line in football, and Brady got the ball out in 2.18 seconds, and they didn't touch him one time. Right. And, and that was because their receivers could get open against a bad Chiefs secondary in two and a half seconds or less. So it's very symbiotic. Um, I do think somebody like Chase Young is probably more valuable than the most valuable corner, but if I had to choose between one elite pass rusher and a secondary full of decent players, I'll take the secondary full of decent players because I think if they can make the quarterback hold on to the ball two-tenths of a second longer, I can get an average pass rusher home. Yeah, and, you know, you're talking about, you know, lots of West Coast, lots of, you know, lots of RPO to combat, you know, dominant pass rushes um, as we've seen. Um, in recent years. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation again. Um, wish you the best. Eric can be um, followed on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric, Eric with a C. Um, he and the guys do a great job, obviously, covering the league. Uh, and we'll talk soon. I appreciate your help. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Thanks to Eric for coming on the show. Uh, We'll have plenty of those discussions between now and the beginning of the season, not just on Washington, but on the rest of the league uh, as well. All right, that's it for the day. Back tomorrow.